Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Warning Podcast brought to you by the Escape Collective, the show where we filter the latest and greatest in the world of bicycle tech to help you make your own bike as good as it can be. I'm James Huang, and I'm joined here in our virtual studio by our full cast of tech editors. Over in Sydney, Australia, we've got Dave Rome. Hi, Dave. Hey, James. And over in Ireland, we've got Ronan McLaughlin. Hi, Ronan. Hi, James. Um, You're wearing an appropriate color shirt today. I always wear green. Uh, (laughs) You might not always see it, but I'm always wearing green. Mm, Interesting. Okay, good to know. You're always wearing (laughs) green somewhere, whether it is on or off camera. (laughs) That fact may be incorrect. Maybe false. (laughs) Dave, you're you're looking nice and trim with your new haircut here. Oh, thank you very much. I'm curious, how much longer are you going to let this stuff on top grow? Uh, as long as it still grows. I'm holding <laughs> on to it. Interesting. Okay. Whereas I'm sitting here constantly cutting all my hair off. Uh, anyway, mm. we are, uh, we're skipping our usual news this week because we've got an especially amazing episode for you today. Uh, because it's time for our annual award show where we look back on the year and reveal our favorite highs and lows of 2023. Wondering what our favorite purchases were this year or what product we want the most What are we most excited to see in 2024? And what was the most, well, maybe underwhelming thing in bicycle tech in 2023? We're going to reveal all of that in just a second. But first, a quick reminder that it's entirely through membership dues that we're able to fund our entire operation of both written and audio content here at Escape Collective, employee salaries and all. So if you're not already a member, head over to escapecollective.com slash join to sign up. We've got multiple tiers of membership and not only monthly and annual, but even lifetime options. So figure out which one works best for you and help us continue to do what we do here. All right, back to the awards. Fair warning, our categories here might be a little unconventional, but hopefully a little more insightful and entertaining as a result. So we're going to just go ahead and dive in. Uh, We're going to kick things off with a pretty big one. What do we think was the biggest tech trend of 2023? Dave, I'm going to start with you. What do you think here? Who gets that award? Uh, biggest tech trend of 2023. I mean, there were a few. Uh, I think 12-speed mechanical was perhaps arguably the biggest. I would think, in my mind, uh, perhaps all the new uh, car collaborations, though, was perhaps the most interesting of the tech trends. It is a trend we've seen before, but not for a few years. And all of a sudden, we, we seem to have a bunch more. And some uh, were more interesting than others. But yeah, it does, it does seem like a lot more than just... Uh, the, the stuff we've seen before of slapping a car brand on a pre-existing bicycle with a, a new paint and a, a leather bar tape and calling it done. It, you know, there was some pretty innovative uh, releases there. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a couple things there to discuss. I guess the, the Aston Martin one in particular was especially intriguing. Yes, yes. So uh, we briefly tried to arrange a podcast on that, but uh, didn't quite hear back in the end. So... We might not have a, lot, a deeper discussion on that bike, but uh, yeah, I think that one does have a lot of intriguing stuff going on, including its its own brakes, which is probably uh, one of the more polarizing elements, but uh, does make for a, an interesting looking package. It certainly gives us something to talk about. Uh, Ronan, anything that struck your, struck your fancy this year as far as the big tech trends? I was kind of racking my brains to think of what it was. It's so hard to think back right at the start of the year. Like We've got a list of categories here and you're trying to fill out one for each and it gets... Yeah, you're trying to think back. It's been a long, it's been a quick year, but it's been a long year. I was going to say just about everything getting, you know, sort of lighter and sort of more aero, new do-it-all frames, but I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with classified and wheel, different wheel brand collaborations because there was a period around about, I don't know, was it like March, April, May time, where it just seemed to be like every wheel brand under the sun was coming out with a classified 
collaboration of some sort. And when I say collaboration, effectively, you know, put the shell for the classified parts yeah. hub into into their rear wheel. Hunt did it, Parkour did it. Uh, I'm drawing a blank now on other ones, but yeah, that that, that was a trend for a bit. Still a trend it, because it, those things are still available. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does seem like classified kind of has hit its stride this past year. Uh, it'll still be interesting to see where that company goes, and you know, we're still hearing rumors as far as like control inter- integration and stuff like that. But yeah, their their stock seems to be rising, so uh, one that will continue to watch into 24. Yeah, I think James, like uh, I'm keen to hear what your uh, biggest tech trend was that you thought you, that you think is has happened over the last year. I don't know if this is so much like a, a tech trend as far as like actual product goes, but it's kind of more of an mm. industry thing. Uh, my biggest trend was just blowouts everywhere. And I'm not talking yeah. tire blowouts. I'm talking about like crazy, crazy deals. There were um, some tire blowouts too. There, mm. there maybe were some tire <laughs> blowouts too, but I'm talking about like, like insane, insane deals as far as being able to buy stuff at just massive discounts. One of the latest ones that just popped up, a couple of people messaged me last night as, as we're recording this. Kona, popular uh, brand out of the Pacific Northwest here in the U.S., uh, it really wasn't that long ago that they were just the absolute darling of the industry. Like, it seemed like they could do no wrong. They were totally at the forefront of all the mountain bike trends. And they just announced a buy one, get one deal on uh, their process line mm-hmm. of trail and enduro bikes. And oh my. I, I had seen stuff like this in previous months from like Marin and GT, but those were usually restricted to cheaper bikes. Mm. And the Kona one is like full on buy one, get one, get another bike of equal value. And I did a quick search last night and this morning, and that includes their top-end process that has a retail of uh, $8,200 US. So if you wanted to buy two of those, mm. you can go ahead and do that and essentially get an $8,200 discount. Will they let you just buy one at 50% off, or do you have to take the second one? Oh, no. They're, they're clearly interested in reducing their inventory. So, yeah, okay. Um, wow. So that that's probably the most extreme example I've seen of some crazy deals that we've seen going on. But- it's definitely not the only one. I actually went online yesterday and the pros closet is uh, kind of like they specialize in a lot, of, a lot of like used and industry overstock sort of stuff. And they were running some crazy sale yesterday. I actually ended up buying a bunch of clothing for myself. I bought a, a, a Shimano 12 speed chain for like $11. Um, what? So it's, I mean, that's how worn was it? <laughs> good, good question. Good question. They didn't, they didn't specify, but it was, it was brand new. All this stuff that I bought was brand new. Um, wow. And it was just insanely, insanely cheap. They had like Shimano M540 clipless pedals for like no amount of money. You know, may have even been cheaper than what you paid for the cleats. I can't remember now. But it is just unbelievable the sorts of deals that are out there, which is great if you are a consumer, not so great if you are part of the industry that is looking to recover some of your some of your capital and some of your uh, some of your cash for presumably a, a rough a rough stint ahead. But that, for me, is the biggest trend of 23, and that, that could end up being the biggest trend of 24. It still remains to be seen, because it looks like that whole thing is picking up steam instead of slowing down. Well, I'm going to award you the award of the awards for, for having <laughs> the best, yeah, the best tech trend. So, All right, yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I, I didn't know we were assigning winners for each category. But, we're not, but, but I just decided yours is, is so clearly better than what both Ronan and I had suggested that, uh, that, that you get an award. Mm, okay, winner. Do yeah. I get a prize? Like, do I get a physical prize? I uh, will have to discuss that. You get an NFT. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I get nothing. <laughs> All right. M- moving on. Next category. Uh, this one, Dave. I think this one you posted in our show notes here. What happened this year that we couldn't actually believe? 
happened. Oh, yeah, the I Can't Believe That Happened award. Shimano did a recall. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, it probably doesn't need too much more explanation than that, but uh, years of reports of, of crank failures in the market and a whole Instagram account dedicated to proving that this isn't, you know, a one-off case. Uh, yeah, we I, I didn't actually think we'd ever see the day where Shimano did a, an official recall on these. Uh, I thought they'd continue just kind of behind the scenes accepting warranties on these cranks and replacing them when they were required to replace them. But but nope, they went ahead and did a effectively a global recall on them. And yeah, whether you think it's been handled well or not, beside the point is, yeah, they actually acknowledge the issue and uh, replacing cranks now, as long as yours are showing damage. It's it's still yeah it's a it's obviously very uh very much a touchy subject for a lot of people but uh that's the what I didn't think would happen. It is kind of remarkable for yes for as messy as it as it has been and likely will continue to be. I just certainly was just as as surprised as you or anybody else was to see that this did actually happen, considering it is far from a secret that they were dealing with these crank failures. Yep. It's been yep. what ten years, something like that. Yeah, it, it kind of it kind of felt like it was too late to do anything with it. It kind of felt like if they were ever going to do something with it, it would have happened two to three years before. But but nope, here we are. Well, it did. Uh, Ronan, you have an entry to this category as well. It's a little more humorous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to remind you of the mistake that I made with the SIS Nootropics caffeine gels back in back in May when I. Hadn't seen the like absolutely minuscule small print on the back of the gel. It says maximum one per day. Uh, and I had taken six of these things, if I remember correctly, uh, which is about 1,200 milligrams of caffeine. Plus another, uh, I can't remember how much other caffeine I took that, that day or both those days. But that, that, was, that was a nasty surprise. Other than your train spotting incident that followed that, um, what's, uh, I, I know you had a few other people being like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. No wonder I've been feeling unwell. Has there been any update on the packaging since, or is it still a, a very much a PSA? Not that I'm aware of. I would need to check that again. Uh, but yeah, the the sheer number of people that I had reach out after that and say I did the exact same thing, or I know someone who did the, ex- the exact same thing, or scarily from a guy in the same race that I made that mistake who had taken, I think it was 15 of these things. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, no, even if there's a bit of exaggeration in there, let's say it's exaggerated by a handful. That's still double. That's still ten of these gels that you're only supposed to have one a day. So yeah, there's there's clearly an issue there. It's not. It wasn't just me being an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I know of one person who had uh, gone to great lengths to try and get SIS to update their packaging, and they hadn't done so. I don't want to say they haven't done yet. I'll need to go and check. I would say that's the uh, less of the I can't believe it happened award and more of the products to make you shit yourself award. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Dave, that's the wrong category. I think that was the Tom Dumoulin <laughs> award. I had another product or another incident for that category that you just mentioned there, uh, Dave, and that was you remember when Rui Costa, his mechanic, had installed one by bolts instead of two by bolts on his time trial chain ring? And the chain ring came off on the start ramp. I'm sure he had a similar incident that I had <laughs> when, when that happened. All of a sudden had some AG2R shorts. Yes. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, just, just for the record, that didn't, that didn't happen to me. Yeah, <laughs> okay. was, all right. The shorts were fine. 
All right. Well, I don't have an entry for this category, so we're just going to move on mm. to the next one because I do have right. one for that. This is going to be for the It's About Time Award, and I am nominating the fact that wide road tires are finally becoming so broadly adopted that we actually now criticize brands that don't include 28 mil tires stock. Uh, Ronan, I remember when you were at the tour, you took a, you kind of took a survey of what sizes various teams were running there, and I think it was only what one or two teams that were running something narrower than a 28 mil printed width tire. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. Was there was there even one team running narrower than a 28 printed? Uh, potentially Cofidis on their Michelin tubulars, but uh, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but the vast, vast majority of the tires in the Peloton were printed 28, and some were measuring up as far as 32, depending on the rims that mm-hmm. they were on. And Dave, do you remember, was it, I think it was Josh Portner at Silco who had predicted that, well, one, that, that the entire Peloton was going to go tubeless, but two, yeah. uh, I think he had, had called last year or even two years ago as something about how this was going to happen in terms of width, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, I think it was a lot longer ago, actually, because I, I wrote an article off the back of his statement. I'm going to say probably three years ago now, maybe four years ago. So, yeah. And I think, it, and I think he, he said it was going to happen within five years or something. Within five years, everyone would be, yeah, the whole Peloton would be, Pro Peloton would be on uh, tubeless tires in wider widths, uh, higher volume. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's an, I don't think we're quite there yet, but it's starting to look like he's right. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, definitely a trend and it's definitely uh i would say happened a lot quicker than most people thought so well done josh it's your suggestion james or your your award uh so i'll I'll not put words in your mouth but i think where i don't have a problem with manufacturers specking something other than a or narrower than a 28 is when it matches the rim i think that's worth saying a lot of people still like and prefer 25 mil tires where i struggle is when something like you know, the candle I reviewed recently, it had rims that were clearly optimized for at least a 28. Um, mm. And they were, you know, tubeless compatible and, and all that. And then they were specced with 25 mil GP5000 tube type only tires, yeah. which, you know, that, that, that to me, I think most people buying that bike are going to want to upgrade those tires pretty soon, which is, you don't want to yeah. do that when you buy a new bike. Yeah, that sounded that seemed more like a spec availability, you know, component availability yeah, woes, yeah. supply chain issues than than desired choice. But yeah, I guess the other comparison point there is like specialized tarmac, which comes with its own, you know, Ro- Roval Rapid wheels and and a twenty six millimeter tire, which measures just shy of twenty eight. Uh, but yeah, that you know that is officially the the tire they designed that rim shape around, and they they feel is the fastest combo. So uh, and that one is tubeless ready and all that. So um, yeah, I guess that's an example of where we're still not quite seeing 28s, but it, it's a performance choice. But it certainly seems like it is far and away. Those narrow tires are the exception rather than the norm Absolutely. these days. So yeah. I think I, I had reviewed those original NV 4.5 ARs like almost 10 years ago now. Back then, they were so far ahead of their time that pe- so many people were just kind of like, these are ridiculous. There were 25 mil internal hookless, so on and so forth. And now that's just normal. That's kind of just how they, that's just kind of how wheels are now. Took a little while, but seems like, seems like we're there now. I'm Speaking feeling like a, la- I'm feeling like a laggard with all this because I still think 25 mil internal width is too wide for pure road. Uh, I'd still rather have like a, a 21 to 23 mil. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm lagging behind and, and 
just an old grouch now as as most wheel brands or not most but quite a number of wheel brands have moved to 25 mil internal widths on their road tires road wheels. Uh, and on, on that note a late entry into the can't believe that happened award uh, you remember when the etrto standards changed and uh the going forward it's like nothing smaller than 29 and 25 internal but if it was made before this year it's fine that that, that, that i think that deserves a mention in that category oops it's okay. It's not confusing at all. But again, I know we've referenced this, referenced this several times in previous episodes, but we're going to have to dedicate an episode to that one at some point. We'll just move that up on the list for 24. But speaking of wheels, uh, the next category is another one that I wrote. is the OMG I Want Them Award. Uh, so basically this goes to a product that kind of felt was, I guess, left a, left a, bit, of a, a, a bit of an impact or something that I sent back and would have preferred to have bought or kept if I had the money, that sort of thing. And my nominee for that would be the those Synchros Capital SL Aero wheels. Because uh, Ronan, I think I think you've got a loaner set over there right now, and I haven't had to get I haven't had a chance to get your impressions of them yet. But I was pretty damn impressed by these. Uh, Synchros are going to have to fight me for them to get them back. Oh, how about that? Well, it's good <laughs> good to know that you've got a similar opinion there because they like they're they're stupidly light for how deep they are. They're really fast. They're very stiff, yet they don't necessarily ride particularly harsh. They're fully modern in terms of internal and external widths. Relatively speaking, they're quite a bit less expensive than something like a lightweight. So I still can't really find a whole lot wrong with these, aside from the fact that they use a DT Swiss Ratchet EXP uh, rear hub internal, so they're kind of loud. But other than that, like they're kind of awesome. They're kind of like depending on what you're coming from. I was coming from a set of wheels, a couple of sets of wheels that were much louder. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised that they weren't as loud as I was expecting them to be. Uh, if I was to pick one flaw, then it was just the hookless. I would yeah. I'd prefer a little hook in there. But apart from that, I, I remember actually when they were announced, it was during the tour and we were like messaging back and forth, James, and you were like sending me dimensions and stuff. You were telling me the internal dimensions and I thought you were telling me the external because I knew what weight these things were. And yeah, that, that just sort of demonstrates how crazy the, the, the numbers and the stats are on, on those wheels. And yes, very much agreed on, on your uh, suggestion for this award. Well, unfortunately, as relatively inexpensive as they are, again, compared to what they, what they go up against, I still didn't have enough money for them. So they went back. Maybe, maybe you actually have that set now. Hard to say. How do you feel about them aesthetically? Uh, because from my point of view, they look a little bit like a a student design project. I mean, they, they are a little industrial, uh, I guess, particularly at the hub flange. But I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, when I'm out, out on a ride, I don't spend too much time just looking down at my front hub. Uh, definitely not at my rear hub. Pretty low on my list of concerns. Uh, I think they are definitely beaten in that respect by a couple of other wheel sets that I'm testing at the moment. The new the CRW Craft Racing Works, those have like a really glossy finish and just mm-hmm. similar weight and just look fantastic. I, I don't dislike them, but they aesthetically they don't jump out at me. It's for it's it's the stats that, that really yeah uh, on paper, and then the ride feel as well. I've only had two rides in them, but yeah, for for me, like just purely from an aesthetic point of view, uh, I think Partington is probably the the aesthetic benchmark in that sense. But uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's a a very a whole different price point of of wheel set, so. I was oh. going to say, it's also perhaps like the financial benchmark too. Yeah. Although Lightweight still has them beat on that sense. Still blows my mind. How, yep. how is that possible? Anyway, 
Uh, Ronan, I don't know about your plans, but again, as I mentioned, I unfortunately was not planning on buying those. However, I think we all did buy some stuff this year. So our next category, sort of related to this conversation, is what was our what were our best bike-related purchases of 2023? I was going to say, Dave, I want to start with you because I think you're pretty excited about your purchase. Yeah, I bought a, a Cybertruck. Um, <laughs> AKA a specialized uh, turbo Levo uh, e-bike. So yeah, it's a, a lot, a semi, you know, yeah, mid-travel, I guess. Yeah, 160 fronts-ish and 150 rear and uh, yeah, mullet wheel set and full power e-bike. And uh, I'm loving it. It's it's fun. I I am riding more as a result of it. And the geometry and suspension travels given me confidence on trail sections that I'd lost faith in uh, and lost my confidence on, and it's it's brought that confidence back, and I've I've been you know immediately taking that confidence back to much shorter travel bikes as well. So uh, for me, it's yeah, it's just boosted my riding in every way possible. So I I can't say anything bad about that bike. It's uh it's just yeah, it's just transformed my riding. Wow, how about that? That's 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 quite a testament there. Yeah. Uh, did you get one free when you bought that one though, Dave? Did I get a second one? Sadly not. No. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. I got the one that I got on sale, but yeah, they've uh, it's it's apparently I, I chose a size and a model that is actually still in demand. So there you go. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the the screaming deal of buy one get one free. Hmm. Bummer. Well, my purchase wasn't. Well, I was just about to say that it maybe wasn't quite as exciting, although that's maybe debatable because uh, I would say tops of my list for twenty twenty three in that category was. The actual proper shop grade work stand that I got this year. So is the uh, the park for if you're looking for a part number, is the Park PRS 3.3-2. Um, so it has been 15, 16 years, something like that, since I have worked as a shop mechanic, and I have been pining for one of those proper, super sturdy steel shop stands ever since then. Um, Right before I got this park one, I have uh, I still have this uh, Feedback Pro Mechanic HD, which is just an incredibly, incredibly burly, burly uh, folding stand. But it is still a folding stand; it's still aluminum, so it's just not quite as sturdy. Yeah. Uh, this park one, however, it's got this like seventy-five pound steel base and like this big steel mast, and it's just big and heavy and super stiff, and it is just an absolute luxury to work on stuff on this thing and. Me just back how to, stable the bike stays when you do everything. It's, it's just so lovely. And yeah, the ability to very finely tune the, the angle of the bike without bumping anything or, you know, you know, it's so smooth and so stable that while you're like bleeding a brake with like a Shimano bleed cup, you can, you know, adjust the angle of the bike by five degrees and no fluid bounces or anything like that. So it's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like it is, it is certainly not an inexpensive purchase, especially for a home mechanic, but Oh man, like I said, it is such a luxury to have something that is just that sturdy to work on. It's going to be hard for me to ever go back. But then I guess my next step is going to be, I think once I really, really decide where this thing is going to live, uh, then I think I'm actually just going to go ahead and bolt it to the floor because Mm. then that would be sort of the next step. Yep. So maybe that'll happen in 24. We'll see. Ronan, do you have a best purchase? Uh, SAS New Tropics Gels. (laughs) (laughs) Never just lost one, so much no, weight one. in a 24-hour period. Well, I had, I had no job in February, and then um, we had a kid in July, so I didn't do much buying this year. Um, yeah. The only thing that really springs to mind is- and you I, bought I a garage. Look, I've been building out a garage, and I bought a lot of different like 
tools to complete that job. Um, I bought a circular saw and then quickly realized that I needed a what's called a Craig AccuCut, which makes cutting straight long sheets just so much easier. That I, and mm. I, I've really enjoyed that. For, for people um, without an Irish accent, that is Craig. Craig. Okay. K K R E G. Uh, okay. So yeah, if you're looking, <laughs> if you're looking for a, a cutting guide on Google called Craig, you're, you're probably not gonna <laughs> not gonna find it. But yeah, you're not. perhaps Craig has a Craig. I don't, yeah. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> if, if we're looking for one cycling related thing, I've uh, and and they're just completely impractical. Nobody's gonna actually want another set of these. But the Mish Pistard Air or Miche or whatever you pronounce it, it's Mike, isn't it? Mike. Pistard Air track crankset that I bought for uh, that Ross bike that I that I optimized, uh, and the Pyramid Cycle design chainrings to go with it. I, I used I used those on a bike on Zwift this morning, and just the how narrow they are, how cool they look. They've they've really ticked a lot of boxes for me this year. Hardly mm. hardly got used, you know. As I said, completely impractical, but mm. I like them a lot. Um. Well. Ronan, I'm going to just go ahead and supersede your choice, and just I'm just going to declare that your garage was the best bike-related purchase of all three of us this year because mm, it's not there yet. Still, three well, years later, it's still a work in progress. It's about well, it's turned into like that cathedral in Barcelona, but we're... <laughs> okay, fair. And, and I guess this really didn't technically happen in 23 either, but uh, it certainly I think it goes without saying that it is closer to being completed now than it was at any other year, and. <laughs> Oh, oh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike crank arms and pyramid chain ring it is. All right. Let's move on. All right. How about th- this next category? Ah, oh, this is another one of mine. Uh, the what the hell were they thinking award? I think we're all in agreement on this one, are we? What were uh, they thinking? I, Who was <laughs> thinking question. what? So, so my nominee for this one is Campagnolo for ditching yeah. the thumb button on their mm. new super You're right. what the hell were they electronic thinking? road group set. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so Ronan, I th- I believe you are the only one of the three of us to have actually ridden this group set. I've had hands on it, but I haven't, yeah, actually, haven't actually ridden the thing. Same. Um, that said, I have ridden God knows how many generations of mechanical and electronic Campagnolo group sets to this point. And the fact that they got rid of that super iconic thumb button uh, for whatever its ergonomic foibles, uh, that just seems like it, it was like the one thing that set them apart. Mm. Uh, it goes further than that for me it's like the I think it's the one not the one thing but it's one thing that a Campagnolo customer either doesn't mind or really really likes and it's been swapped and yeah I'm with you on this one James I I, I didn't I I wasn't a huge fan of that disappearing either just can't scratch my head on that one particularly Mm. since we had some early spy photos or some patent photos that suggested that that thumb uh, that the thumb paddle might just be transitioning to a thumb button um so it kind of gave us some hope there but alas that button is just for like setup and that sort of thing so no thumb shifter button on campagnolo electronic groups anymore wah, wah. i was gonna say i think that's the bigger issue for me I mean, yeah it is obviously like had had it had the thumb been replaced with something that was just unquestionably Superior. better yeah 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 fine but I from the brief ride that I had on it, I'm far from convinced that it has been. Yeah, it's like kind of like a almost a worse version of Shimano Di2, which is already somewhat polarizing with having the buttons so close to each other. So it's anyway, yeah. Uh, I like to go further on this, and I, I 
uh, I know Campagnolo probably aren't stoked on on us talking about this from this point of view, but uh, like I think from my point of view and from my circles of seeing like hardcore Campagnolo customers that have owned every generation of EPS or like every mechanical generation and they, you know, they ride Colnagos or they ride Pinarello Dogmas. From what I'm seeing, not a single one of them is interested in this new group set. Uh, they're all moving to Shimano after years of being anti-Shimano. The anti-Shimano part aside, add yeah. me to that list and that I would have always, always I would have looked towards a Campag group set before like the can't remember the time I bought like a, a standalone group set that wasn't Campagnolo, but I don't really have any interest in purchasing this new one. Yeah, such a shame. So anyway, mm. hopefully they can you know in the meantime keep keep finding success in mechanical group sets because you know that is a market that they've yeah that they remain the the best option in I guess as far as you know high end mechanical group sets. So yeah. aside from Eckhart, it's the only category that they're in. James, have you got a have you got a happier category there? Yeah, uh, I don't have a happier <laughs> that category yet, but yeah. I I do actually have a second entry for the what the hell were they thinking award, oh. um, and I know I've certainly made no secret my opinions of fully hidden, fully internal cable routing on road bikes, um, but as I've mentioned several times, that ship has clearly sailed, and I know that a lot of people just prefer it. Uh, however, my second nominee for this category is headset cable routing on mountain bikes because. I see absolutely zero benefit to this whatsoever, uh, an awful lot of downside, and I have yet to hear a convincing argument from any brand, aside from maybe some e-bike brands, sort of, as far as why this is a good thing for consumers, because do you still, I mean, it, it's a mountain bike, the controls are still external at the handlebar, you still got things like a front brake hose that have to be external, like, it really seems to me like the worst of both worlds. It's not necessarily great in terms of aesthetics. It doesn't really clean things up the way you'd really want them to. It's certainly not like you have on a drop bar bike. And yet you still have, uh, you're still introducing huge um, maintenance headaches. Unfortunately, I think we're, we're just early days with it. And I think the next step is for brake hoses to be more integrated than they are now and run through one-piece cockpits. And I guess... With me saying I'm anti one piece cockpits on mountain bikes, I'm anti integrated brake hoses on mountain bikes, I'm anti, I'm not anti headset cable routing on mountain bikes, but I am where there is any mechanical cable involved. So I own a, a factor hardtail that has just one brake hose running through the headset, and that is very clean, uh, but that's a very high end solution where everything else needs to be wireless. Uh, and I don't think we're there yet as an, as an industry for forcing all other price points to have shittiness as a result of that. And let me ask you this, Dave, mm. for as clean as the front end of that factor is, yep. is it substantially cleaner than if you just had one little port at the head tube that didn't go through that headset bearing? It is not. Although in factors defense, they do have those ports. So you, you don't have to use the headset cable routing on the factor, uh, which is kind of cool. But uh, I decided to and it is clean and like I've mounted a, a number plate to that bike before and that was quite nice and it's a very niche application there um i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna defend it i think it, it <laughs> creates more more complications than it needs to and, and i'm thinking like that specialized epic world cup that i reviewed recently like they've got a, a patent on a, a sort of a stopper based integrated design which is quite a cool design but by the end of my testing period i, I opened it up again to photograph and it was just covered in grit those headset bearings were just really dirty and that's that's fundamentally the big issue here is that to have 
cables running through the headset, you have to have ports for them and you're not going to make those waterproof or, or as, as well sealed as a, a traditional headset. So there's just so many compromises here. So I'm just going to go ahead and repeat, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> Moving on to something a little bit more upbeat. I think this might be another one of my categories here. I think it is. The Problem Solver Award. Although, Dave, this one actually is a little bit more applicable to you personally because my nominee for this is 3D printers because... Mm. How's yours going? Uh, uh, mine is still... Ex- well, my, my 3D printer still exists mostly as an image on a screen on a website somewhere where I could potentially order said 3D printer. Gotcha. It's still not in my house. I have a space for one in the garage that doesn't finish. <laughs> perfect. Nice. There's, perfect. There's a planned space for one. Eventually. They don't take up a lot of space. I've got Dave, a, Dave, I've got you an see HP my garage. paper printer here, which is almost three times the size of my 3D you, printer. You've seen my garage, Dave. I don't have time for that printer or a 3D printer or mm, any of the stuff that I have true. currently. So that's true. Unless unless I end up sticking the thing on my kitchen counter, which also doesn't have enough room, I'm probably unfortunately not getting a 3D printer anytime soon. However, also how is how is a 2D printer so more so much more unreliable than a 3D printer? I just don't understand it. <laughs> They've had decades <laughs> to get this right. <laughs> Dave, I don't know, but like, would, would you consider maybe getting rid of your 2D printer and then just using your 3D printer to print all your documents? Uh, I mean, at this rate, I may as well. That thing's so <laughs> just... Do you even print documents anyway? Like, very occasionally. I'm more used for scanning than printing. But then, you know, I guess you have to print in order to scan. So it, it doesn't get used very often. But anyway, the reason why I nominated 3D printers for this Problem Solver Award is because there are... Dave, as you can certainly attest, there are all sorts of situations where you wish you had just sort of one of something mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of the, the, by nature of how mass manufacturing works, you know, a company is really only going to make something if they know that they can sell enough of them to offset the the tooling and production costs. However, with a 3D printer, aside from the printer itself and, and you know, the, the material, maybe some time, some electricity, there really is no tooling cost. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing all sorts of things popping up on the market, like custom shifter buttons and accessory mounts and headset spacers and just sort of one-off anything and everything. And it, it really has just opened up this world of little onesie twosie accessories for people that really we wouldn't have seen before from like a molded, molded plastic or aluminum part or anything like that. Cause it just doesn't worth it. Dave, you had, I can't remember what bike it was now, but you had a need for a custom headset spacer not too long ago on a test yeah. bike. Yeah, it was a polygon. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and you just printed one and there yep. you go. You were done. Yep. Yeah. It was like maybe 10 minutes of drawing time and then just let the printer buzz away for 20 minutes. And, and then there you go. I got a solution that saved me from having to cut a steerer tube in order to test the bike. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, there are a lot of other solutions. Like I look through my workshop and uh, I'm using 3D printed stuff every day when I work on bikes now, like whether it's, uh top mounted bleed blocks from from chris Hirschap or uh you know non non-marring tools for like removing cranks or something like that or or just bearing drifts like one-off bearing drifts for for weird size bearings that are now so commonly found in in uh wrist you know in in full suspension frames you know, like just the other day i was i was doing a new um trek abp suspension and they've got a a 20 20 by 30 mil bearing in in the abp now for for udh which is not a standard size bearing um so yeah of course i don't have a bearing drift for that so now i do so yeah it's uh there's just yeah every day comes uh an idea and a 
a, a possibility to print something and it's yeah i'm i definitely would miss it if i didn't have my 3d printer stuff like that dave do you like print on the side of it what what that is that you've just printed or how do you keep track of if you're it's printing a good so question i should do that no i it just chris, i just chris Hirschap passed me that tip a couple of days ago so yeah no i just uh i just try to make it harder for my memory it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Use it or uh, lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next category is the more of this, please, bike industry award. Ronan, you've got a, a, a good one for this one, I think. It involves some, some bags, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Ortlieb had their repair week. Instead of having like a Black Friday sale or something like that, they just said... If I remember correctly, on, on your side of the Atlantic, James, it was like if you paid shipping, they would repair your bag for free. On this side, it was if you were in the UK, it was entirely free. I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it was it was a, I thought it was great that they effectively were were offering uh, repairs of products to make them last for longer rather than trying to sell us new stuff. Yeah, I think the theme here is just uh, any anything that improves repairability of otherwise unrepairable products. So. Uh, ratio technology for me is a really great example here where they're offering sort of ways to keep old tram shifters running and and other products going and yeah i'm i'm all for seeing more of this and i think there's there's far too many products still being created on the market that are not serviceable beyond their warranty period like the the warrant you know the brands are basically offering uh saying they'll support the product for three to five years after they stop selling it which is approximately the warranty period after that you're on your own and there's like there are some significantly expensive products on the market that if, for example, you needed a headset spacer for some of these more integrated bikes three years from now, you might not be able to get them unless you had access to someone that had 3D print files and designs for it. Just to clear up the Ortlieb one, it was 40% off for US-based customers that could get it repaired 40% off. On, in the UK, you just covered the price of postage. Either way, that is incredibly cool that their campaign for what, you know, what normally was considered Black Friday, Cyber Monday, whatever, was essentially telling people to not buy anything. Yeah. It's maybe worth stating that the Artly bags are made incredibly well to start with, so they probably didn't get a lot of them coming in for free repairs. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, that's even better again, I guess. Yeah, building building something to last forever is is obviously the, the best answer. It's first step, yes. And then, and then supporting that product so it can last forever is the next step. I, like, I personally prefer to give my money to those companies that are creating products like that, which is why I own things like Chris King hubs and that sort of level of product. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's worth considering that in your purchases. Here, here. All right. Well, let's move on to, well, we're going to swing the pendulum the other way again. We're going to get our nominees for the meh award, uh, otherwise known as maybe the most underwhelming tech related thing of 2023. Otherwise known as the angry email award. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, D- Dave, what you got for this one? Uh, for me, it was probably Princeton Carbon Works's entry into mountain bike. Uh, with the what's it? The P1, I think, is the brand. The Singularis is the model. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like we're talking about a very high-end, expensive carbon wheel set that just didn't seem light enough for the price point, and no mention of like compliance or you know. Uh, any any sort of feature and that sort of was just talk of light and stiff, but they weren't all that light. So, uh, yeah, for me, it just felt like a miss. Particularly given how we had been seeing those wheels all over the place, 
underneath the likes of like you know Pauline for uh, Ferran Oh, they, saw, and, they won some very Hitchcock. big races. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. yes, definitely some very very big races won underneath those wheels, and for a long time we had no information on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they certainly did a good job of building up the hype or building up the I guess the anticipation for that, and then they dropped, and yeah, we were kind of just like, eh, man, yeah, it's like a hundred grams too heavy and thousand dollars too much for the weight and yeah uh, and then on top of that the the fact that they've split the brand so they had a completely separate brand like i knew these existed i knew the brand i am a tech editor so i'm pretty decent at google i still couldn't find their webpage for them so it's yeah i don't know it was just uh it was a product that very quickly didn't make a lot of noise Ronan, I'm curious about your nominee for this one because Dave and I were actually both scratching our head as far as what you were referencing here. What are you talking about with this Perry Nice time trial, team time trial thing? Uh, that, that was my first suggestion. I've added another suggestion since then, but because that, that's maybe not entirely relevant for this podcast, but I'm sure there are some team time trial fans out there. And you remember they did this complete change to the format and how the team time trial would work. And everybody thought we would see like climbers sprinting it out for the finish line and really it didn't change much. I think they changed how many people you had to finish with. Anyway, it shows you how exhilarating it was that I can't quite remember what exactly it was. <laughs> Either way, but Ronan, how is this tech related? It's, well, it's time trials. It's team time trials. It's all, it's entirely tech related. <laughs> uh, what else you got? <laughs> the other thing I got was, uh, I'm going to go right back to the very first podcast, the very first geek warning I think we recorded for the Wahoo Steer. Because that was a meh moment. Um, and I don't believe those exist anymore. Shocker. I certainly, yeah, went looking for them. And Can you refresh our memory of what the Wahoo Steer is or was? Uh, it's that sort of platform that attaches to a out front head unit mount on your handlebars. And then you could like push it left or push it right. And you would have your phone sitting on it. And the movement of your phone would sort of guide your avatar on RGT. It, it would tilt Wahoo's. your phone, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't very good. Uh, I, I would say, Ronan, I think you're gonna, I think you're going to win that one because that product was so meh that I actually had completely forgotten about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've got a nominee for this one, but I'm not sure I can top that one because my nominee, uh, Dave, tell me if you agree with this one, was the uh, the specialized Epic World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's fair. I think there's there's going to be one race next year, the Olympics, where that bike might actually serve a purpose but it'll be used in in a different format to how it's sold it looks like you know there's lockouts and stuff being feet being run by the pros on that bike but yeah i, I yeah sure i agree with that hmm. yeah because that was a bike that i think we all had at least dave you and i had a lot of anticipation for looking at you know spy photos and that sort of thing um specialized doesn't usually doesn't usually whiff all that often uh especially when it comes to mountain bike stuff they've certainly got a lot of experience there and you know having both of us spent an awful lot of time on two different models, you in Australia, me here in the US, and we both kind of came away from that as like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I Meh. think I think there are scenarios where that bike excels. It's just it's a very yeah, it's a very slim uh specific use, and that's not really what you want out of a, a very high end race bike. You want a race bike to be versatile. That isn't it. So unless you've got a new garage to fill with bikes mm-hmm. like Ronan does right now, in which case, you know, that one could be handy to have for that one scenario where it works out. Uh, anyway, the next category is kind of related to to what we just talked about, actually, is the, uh, I'm calling this the I am so here for this award because my nominee for that 
uh, is modern XC bikes because that whole category is absolutely on fire right now. And I am so here for that because mm-hmm. uh, I love what modern cross-country bikes have turned into. I love what modern cross-country riding has turned into. Uh, it's basically sort of just like what we used to use trail bikes for, except now the bikes are lighter and just as capable, more fun, faster. Uh, and it just seems like all of a sudden we have this new breed of cross-country bikes that are just absolutely awesome. I mean, not too long ago, I don't know, like maybe they would have been categorized as down-country bikes, but even that yeah. I don't think is completely accurately describing what they are. They are just super, super capable, fast cross-country bikes designed to cover a lot of terrain very quickly and be super capable capable across a wide variety of terrain. And there's so many options right now, and it's awesome. Yeah, and it's making that whole category of cross-country all exciting again. You know, people are have overbiked for years uh, for a lot of their trails and and they're now yeah rediscovering cross country and rediscovering that climbs can be fun and that's uh for me it's the most exciting category of mountain bikes right now for sure definitely super fun to watch well if you're adding mountain bikes i'm gonna add the, all the new track bikes that we've seen at the world championships because i am here for those those were just fantastic there is a lot of extreme stuff going on in track racing right now mm-hmm. is, is there a standout for you Ryan? Uh, I mean, the new Hope is interesting. The new BMC is interesting. The new Factor is interesting. The look is wild, but I think the one that really caught my eye was the new the Japanese bike with like all sorts of veins and all sorts through it, hmm. manipulating flow and oh yeah. Um, uh, Ronan, I'm curious, how far away is the nearest velodrome for you? Probably would have been Glasgow. Uh, I can hop on a flight here and be in Glasgow and. Uh, I think you land before you take off. It's a shorter flight, but um, <laughs> that's that's probably the closest. But it's in a it's on a different island. Bummer, because I was actually curious how likely it would be that you could perhaps get into track racing yourself. And I guess that's not very likely. You're going to need a much much bigger garage. No, there's an idea. Maybe a topic we'll explore later. <laughs> uh, Dave, you've got a pretty interesting submission for our next category here. The the oops, I put my foot in my mouth award. <laughs> Uh, it's related to SRAM and chainstays. Uh, this one was a, a big one as far as uh, when it got released of uh, on YouTube of people commenting without having seen it. Uh, and it's SRAM transmission. And the take was that uh, the way it was now relying on, uh, yeah, the removal of the rear derailleur hanger meant that the there was a, you know, a, a solid interface between the derailleur and the the frame and that this new SRAM transmission would see everyone breaking their chainstays instead of bending derailleur hangers. Uh, and you know what? I I think, you know, it's it's now nearly nine months since this was released and I, I think those people are wrong. I thought those people were wrong. Now I know those people are wrong. I'm pretty sure we haven't seen, well, I haven't even heard of one yet, have we? I personally haven't. I mean, it's not impossible that that they're out there, but yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not a widespread thing, and and certainly from from my point of view, the the only issues I've I've seen with these derailers is just people taking the derailleur cage with sticks and things like that, and then it's a a tool free replacement. Uh, the derailleur itself is incredibly sturdy, and it's worth emphasizing that it's the through axle that takes the load, not the chainstay. So. Yeah, I think uh, that was an incredibly wrong take as, as far as uh, things that would happen. Uh, and, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've seen a rash of videos from anyone saying like, oh, hey, I was completely wrong about this thing however many months ago. Funny Oops. that, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Just silence. Oh, well. Hmm. Crickets. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess my my joke off the back of this that I, I created into a meme at the time was that um, SRAM also employs engineers. So I, I think that's that's just worth keeping in mind. Anyway, I'll leave it there. They're not real engineers, Dave. They're they're uh, they're they're bicycle engineers. They're not internet engineers. Gotcha. Sure. Cool. Whole different category. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. This next category is pretty much all you because not only did you not only did you pick the category, you're the only one with an entry here. Uh, what oh, yeah. is the most exciting new tool of oh, 2023? Never ask. What are the chances? Uh, I made you wait this long, Dave. Uh, for me, the most exciting new tool. Uh, you were speaking earlier about your best purchase being a shop repair stand, and I think the most exciting new tool is a shop repair stand. So it is the the Remco electric bike stand out of the US, and I think that is. So cool because it's not all that much more expensive than uh than the park tool that you're using, but it adds uh electric assist. So it yeah it, it'll it'll very handily lift. Uh, I believe it's a hundred pounds. I've been testing it, and I've only been testing like a pre-production version, so it's missing out on some of the the more refined features of the production version. But uh, I'm loving it. It's it's so good for for e-bikes, and I'm also really enjoying it for like whenever I'm working on different styles of bike. So say I work on a, an aero style bike and I want to use um, a, a Hirabel uh, frame clamp in it, I can actually just push a button and then the frame all of a sudden comes to a, a more applicable height because it's not being hung by the seat post. Or if I'm bleeding a brake and because I'm a shorty, I can uh, lower the bike so I can actually see what the bleed cup's doing and um, rather than having to be on my tippy toes. So oh yeah, I, I'm just loving the ability to quickly and, and easily adjust the height of the bike. Well, and the other thing I wanted to mention too, I was actually just talking to uh, a, a good friend of mine, Jim Potter, or he's the mm-hmm. owner at Vecchio's uh, bike shop here in town. Jim's been doing this for a very, very long time. He's been a professional bike mechanic for, Jesus, got to be 30 something plus years. And uh, one issue that he mentioned to me is that he's been doing this for, for so long that he's actually starting to have some shoulder issues in the arm that he typically uses to lift the bikes up into the stand. And keep in mind that uh, Vecchio's, they, I mean, they do do mountain bikes. They, they work on pretty much anything, but they, their specialty is kind of higher end road bikes. So it's not like the bikes that Jim is picking up day in and day out are particularly heavy. But when you are doing that over and over and over and over and over again, over that long of a time. 20 plus uh, times is, a day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is kind of an awkward motion. I can yeah. see how that could be, that could, that could develop into some sort of overuse injury. So For sure. um, while we are primarily looking at this Remco uh, electric bike stand add-on as kind of like a really neat kind of convenience and fun thing. Uh, it actually could be like a like a physical benefit thing to a lot of people, and particularly when we're looking at e-bikes that are really heavy. Like I had I had a shifter cable snap on my Urban Arrow Uh-oh. just the other day, and uh, I currently have the thing propped up on a milk crate because mm. um, that that's kind of just how I have to work on it, and uh, it's very inconvenient. However. Uh, it'd be certainly much easier if I had something like that Remco because then I can sort of just clamp at least the back end of it and just sort of like stably tip it up, raise it up a little bit. Uh, and it's just not quite as convenient with even like a really good conventional shop work stand. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for certainly for a lot of mechanics out there, a lot of home mechanics, professionals, whatever, who are working with a lot of e-bikes these days, that sort of electronic lifting power can can definitely be a game changer, I think, for people. It's a game changer. I think it's a occupational health and safety requirement as well for anyone work regularly working on heavy e-bikes. I think, yeah, a lot of shops are being a little bit reckless by not having this sort of stand in their in their facilities and trying to lift up, you know, heavy urban bikes and, and e-bikes on a regular basis. I think that's just asking for people to be injured. So 
yeah, it's worth noting that Remco is definitely not not the first mover in this in this space. Like you know, Park Tool and Junior and Var and the list goes on. And yeah, EVT has a really nice mechanical assisted workstand. Uh, these have existed for quite a few years, and and in some cases, a lot of those stands are probably better for professional use because they have higher lifting capacities and they go higher and they go lower. The difference here is that the Remco is actually at a a consumer price point, but to you know a professional quality standard. So you know we're talking. I think it's like six hundred US dollars for one of these, which is not uh, well for yeah for the add on module anyway. It's not for the entire stand. Sure, sure, yeah. But uh, you know that's not a huge amount of money given you know the closest competitor is three four times that price and yeah and yep. significantly heavier and and more difficult and time consuming to set up. So. Uh, yeah, I'm. I find this product really exciting. Ronan, you got anything for this category? Well, one more suggestion for this category then, and that nope, is it's only what- me. Sorry, it's my category. <laughs> <laughs> I had a tool that I got excited about this year. <laughs> that was I actually don't have it, but the UCA legality tool from WhatsApp, which hmm. quickly and easily, without any like I don't know maths and stuff, figures out whether your front end of your time trial bike is UCA legal or not. It, like works out the angle of your extensions and the height to the top of them and the reach pretty quickly tells you if you're... I've had to play about with one, I just don't have one. Mm. Um, have these like been that. adopted by the UCI? No, of course not. Okay. <laughs> I don't, and, I don't and think I was, so. But <laughs> and I was going to say, even if they had been adopted by the UCI, have they been adopted by every UCI commissaire such that there's no debate as to whether or not the thing is works or doesn't work? I mean, yeah, it's, it's sort of irrelevant if it's adopted or not by the UCI. It's how it's used by the UCA commissary on sure. the ground that uh, determines whether or not a legal bike is is permitted for one race and then permitted again for the next race or not. But we'll not get into that. I, I liked it and, I, and I, I want one. Well, I was going to say, hopefully that one's less expensive than the Remco Duel, but it might not be. I don't, I don't know how much the Remco is. I, I heard you guys mention £600 there. It's not that. It's like it's like £150 or something like oh. that. So it's still not cheap. Ronan, you got to have it though. You got to have it. Mm. Um. Let's wrap up with our last category for this year's award show. And this one is going to be the most anticipated new product, I guess, of 2024. Dave, what you got here? That's a very good question. I am going to go out on a limb here and say, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Shimano GRX Di2 12-speed. I think given what we saw with 12-speed mechanical, perhaps it won't be as huge of a change as what people might hope or expect but i'll i'll take it you know if, if they take the some of the ergonomics design and and uh you know improved braking that they've got in current 11 speed di2 and they they merge it with like you know the hyperglide plus 11 uh 10 to 51 cassette and it's a one by semi wireless group set i think that could be really cool for a gravel bike mm, that would be really cool and i guess realistically uh if i remember correctly right now GRX, I guess, do they even still sell? Yeah, they do still sell GRX Di2, but that is the yeah. last it's fully wired Di2 yep. group set that Shimano has right now, right? Yep, yep, I believe so. And uh, well, if, unless you're counting like uh, twelve mountain speed, bike. twelve speed rim brake stuff. True, and I guess you yeah. know their e bike, mountain bike stuff. Yep, but uh, yeah, that's also current. Yeah, I think that's exciting, and I mean, all the rumors I've heard is that this would probably happen in in a rough time to maybe seeing a like an XTR Di2 group set, which we haven't seen for years and years. Uh, so, yeah, who knows? We'll see. Maybe it won't come. Or maybe it will. I, maybe I, it will. XTR Di2 was, was one of my picks for most anticipated new product because oh. 
I was Thank a you. huge fan of the previous generation of XDR Di2, and that's obviously not competitive now. It was fully wired. It was 11 speed. It was kind of built primarily around a two by format up front. But I still think it was some of the absolute best shifting of anything I've ever used for a mountain bike drivetrain. Super reliable, I'm, too. Super reliable, uh, really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, if Shimano is able to do everything that I like about a mechanical XTR right now and then translate that into an electronic version that kind of eliminates some of the finickiness of the 12 speed mechanical format, then oof, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, the the big barrier for me, which obviously Shimano will have to come up with a solution for, but current Di2 requires you know a, a battery between the derailers. Uh, that battery is often placed underneath the seat post, and that's just it's just not an option on mountain bikes or or a lot of gravel bikes where where you're talking about having a, a dropper post. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with there. I mean, the gravel bike I own has a little hatch in the in the down tube that you could in theory put a, a battery in, but I I still don't think that's as elegant as a solution as as what will need to happen so yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see if uh, if we end up having batteries integrated into the trailer or not but uh i suspect not i'm gonna go for a group set too uh and i'm gonna anticipate a new shram red group set i think it's gonna be fully wired rim brake only <laughs> um, <laughs> no i i i am i think it's i think it's overdue at this point yeah um, it is it is yeah. it's the oldest uh, group set in the range yeah particularly looking forward i think i'm particularly looking forward to it because of the updates to rival and force recently which you know in another world those updates or those aesthetical updates could have been introduced to red first and then trickled down so if they're if they're coming to rival and force i'm thinking well red must be entirely different and then i'm also thinking that if you think about the other parts of a road bike build the frame the disc brake wheels all the other components everything else is just about as light as it can get now it's really over to the group set manufacturers to get us back to sort of rim brake bike weight uh, territory yeah i'm hoping shram has maybe able to achieve that but i guess we'll wait and see yeah i mean you look I mean, at I- the new rival and force and like the hood ergonomics are improved are better than than red you know like they're a smaller shape and so you know you can imagine that that would be improved further maybe um but yeah for me i, I think Perhaps the, the thing I hope for is that we don't see chain rings integrated into power meters any further and that those chain rings are maybe replaceable of the power meter, which is like I, I'm basing that on, say, a, a transmission XXSL, which the chain rings integrated into the power meter, but with a special tool, you can remove the ring. So uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Hmm. Well, uh, we'll find out. I think, I, I think we're all expecting to see that next year. 2024 so it shouldn't be too far away um yeah i guess we should we should start putting together a list of features that we think are going to be included and just see if we're right or not Mm. we we can talk we can talk about that after the holidays uh i do have one last nominee for most anticipated new product uh and as underwhelmed as i was with the specialized epic world cup i am very excited to see what i am expecting to be a new specialized epic evo because the current epic evo i would argue is it's got to be one of the most popular, highly capable cross-country full suspension bikes that are out there right now. Specialized ticked so many boxes with that bike. It's shockingly light for what you get out of it. The suspension works really well. It handles quite well. Somehow doesn't seem super fragile considering how light it is. Mm, uh, so it light. looks good. Yeah. Um, it's offered at a whole bunch of different levels. Um, I bought one for my wife. She loves it. I'm hoping that Specialized doesn't 
kind of ruin it with headset cable routing. Yeah, fingers crossed. Which seems yeah. likely, but however, uh, I would love to see what Specialized would do with that thing as an evolution of what's already out there. They kind of like, from my point of view, all they need to do to it is uh, reduce the seat tube length so you can run longer droppers on it and maybe lower the bottom bracket a little bit to keep up with trends of people running shorter cranks because uh, it is quite a tall bike. Uh, that would be it for me. That's all I want. And maybe this, you know, maybe an extra five mil in the rear, in in the rear travel. But it's really just very subtle changes in order to keep that bike incredibly competitive. The rumor I'd heard is that this past World Cup season, we saw uh, quite a few of the specialized factory racing pros racing on the Epic Evo. And the story I was told is that that was actually the new bike. In which case, perhaps it's very similar to the old one because we didn't pick it. So uh, we'll see. Hmm. Yeah, intriguing. Mm. Well, that would be fun. So, Specialized, if you are listening, put us down for a list for a test sample, please, because we, we would love to see what's going on with that one. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a good spot to wrap up this year's award show. And then on a high note, something that we're looking forward to for the new year. Oh, Ronan, what you got? Can, one, one last best product of the year. Uh, and I think that has to be Escape Collective. Is that, is that even in doubt? That's a good bonus category, Ronan. Geek warning, especially, maybe, but definitely escape collective as a whole I, I mean i don't have any arguments with that one i would <laughs> yeah. i would, I would I'm met with stone silence here guys you're supposed to support me on this one i, well, I feel I really awkward to disagree with you Ryan, and I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean i was also kind of thinking to myself like huh like what category would that be under uh i'm just not going to bother assigning that to a category at this one mm. because mm. uh yeah i mean i would say a lot of work certainly has gone into this thing and people seem to be quite happy with what we've put together I think so far what we've done has been pretty good. See, people seem, like I said, quite happy with, with it. Uh, we're still signing up new members. and Actually, memberships have accelerated in the last few weeks and months, so that's been a good sign that maybe more people are finding out about us. Let, let us know how many people who have purchased a membership that that is at least in the top three cycling things that they bought this year, let's say. Is, is, that, is that your, uh, what, what was the product we had? Or what was the category we had for ourselves? Purchase of the year? Best purchase, uh, how, yeah. Best purchase, yeah. Yeah was the best purchase for anybody yeah and if and if we if we're not the best purchase then did we suggest your best purchase oh oh that's a good one too mm. Mm. this could be a fiery comment section yes comments of the site post for this for this uh podcast <laughs> please <laughs> all right well that will do it for our inaugural geek warning awards episode a couple of quick announcements before we sign off this week We've got a bunch of fresh new tech editorial products here at Escape Collective that you should know about, including Dave's tools and workshop-focused newsletter called Threaded, and Ronan's performance process podcast where he dives deep into anything and everything related to going fast on your bike. Threaded is free for everyone, but performance process is only for our Escape Collective members, as are the members-only bonus episodes of Geek Warning. If you need a little extra incentive, we're running a holiday special. If you sign up for an annual membership, you'll get a free t-shirt as a gift from all of us here at Escape Collective. Just head over to escapecollective.com slash Christmas to get that done. I promise you it's a quick and painless process, and if you want to be super sneaky and generous, you can maybe even see about gifting a membership to one of your cycling buddies and keeping the t-shirt for yourself. But don't tell anyone we suggested that. Anyway, we'll be back with one last regular episode and one more members-only bonus episode of Geek Warning before we take a short break for the holidays, so we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>